Good evening. And who, Cody, if you will get that chart back on, I guess, I, am I talking to Cody? Okay, great. If you can get, do that chart again this morning that we had, we'll uh, pick up with that. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good evening. We, uh, this morning, were able to look at several things concerning the spirit world. I'm saying this now for those of you who are here tonight, not this morning. You'll see in the chart there, the left side, and I'm going to just quickly go through two or three things to kind of set the pace for this evening. But on the left side of that chart, you'll see that the earthly existence, that's where we are now, the land of the living. Is this one behind me? It is, isn't it? Yeah, okay. And then what we spent most of our time on this morning was the center part. And there are six areas of uh, existence, or six names of existence. Uh, some of them are synonymous, of course. But you'll see there the place of the departed spirits. Sheol and Hades and the abyss are all synonymous. Uh, <clears throat> then you see in the first box there in the center, paradise and third heaven. And we got that this morning from, uh, uh, it comes from 2 Corinthians 12, where we have <clears throat> both of those terms and those verses. And then you see there Abraham's bosom. And of course, we all of our life have heard and talked about Abraham's bosom. Uh, scripture seems to indicate, at least some commentaries do, that that was a special area. His bosom, at that closeness there, would be a special area for eating a meal together. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. That's, that's, that's what I've learned on that anyway. You see there Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, <clears throat> the angels, and so forth. Everyone who has lived a righteous life and we based all this on Luke 16, uh, 19 through 31. That was our passage this morning. But everyone who's lived that righteous life, when they die, their spirit is escorted to paradise. Now the scripture says that the rich man died, and then all it says was that he was buried. But then we have conversations in, in Luke now, in his account, we have conversations with, um, between the rich man and Abraham, as well as uh, Lazarus. Uh, not so much talking to, uh, for the rich man to be talking to him, but just pointing him out and wanting him to go dip, tip his finger in water and put on his tongue. Now, <clears throat> with all that said, that, uh, you can see there the chasm between the two here in the center section, chasm or gulf separating, it says. <laughs> then the bottom part, Tataris, that word comes from uh, that, the uh, Greek word for hell that is used in 2 Peter 2.4 is not Gehenna. And, and that word is uh, translated from the Greek uh, Tartarosa, that's the, ad, uh, the verb. The noun to that then is Tataris. Tataras is the waiting place, as you can see here, demons, rebellious angels, spirits of evil men, and so forth. And by the way, I, I meant to point out to you this morning, I, I won't do that, just my, that thought just came to me. 
You'll see up here on the very top by Guy Orbison. Uh, I, want, I want to just point that out. This comes from him. He, I've heard him in gospel meetings in Springfield. He's the preacher in uh, Colorado at Durango. But I, I did email him to get permission to use this chart. I have gotten some of his literature. And uh, he said, yes, that's fine. He said, just be sure to tell them that's mine, not yours. <laughs> so I thought that's very kind of him. You know, they're very loving. But anyhow, uh, that's where this came from. And some of the information I'm going to use here tonight, I have gotten from some of the material. He, he does um, a study each month, and it's called Working in the Word. And you can uh, subscribe to that. That's how I've been able to get some of this information, at least on this subject. But you can subscribe to that with him, and, and you'll get a monthly issue or a little booklet. Uh, and he, does, he takes a, a book in the Bible. I keep, I've got all of them on Romans and Hebrews and things like that. Now, back to this. You look over to the right, and they see the, the center, the gulf there says resurrection, and it says judgment. Obviously, those two things have not occurred. And <clears throat> we all are aware of the fact of what the scripture says on this particular topic. There's a lot in the gospels from Christ himself about this area, about hell, for instance. The word hell comes from Gehenna, as I've already mentioned. I have read that there are 10 uh, references in the New Testament uh, in most of the translations that will use the word Hades or hell. And some of them, like the King James, will use hell in Acts 2.27 when it should be Hades. And in 1 Peter uh, or 2 Peter 2.4, where we get the word Tataris, uh, the word hell is used there. And it... It, of course, the, the uh, Greek word on that, Tataris, I guess that's the only way they could do that. I, I would have thought that perhaps it would have been Hades. We learned also this morning that Hades <clears throat> is the uh, unseen area for these departed spirits here that you see in the middle. But over here on the right, the eternal dwelling place, heaven and hell. And hell, of course, is from the word Gehenna. In this particular area, we know from Scripture that we've looked at that we are going to have a spiritual body. The Spirit is what's in Tartarus and in Paradise. You remember I told you the story, the two things, the two words this morning uh, from uh, Genesis 25 and 35. The fact that Abraham died... And the scripture says he died at 175 and then he was uh, taken to his family to be with his family. And, and that would be in the spirit, of course. Now, there's no physical body. There's no body. There's no spiritual body that I understand. And that's hard to understand, too. We talk about the spirit here and we talk about a spiritual body over here in eternity. But that seems to be the, the reading and that seems to be the understanding from the Bible. And what we're going to be looking at here and now most of the time is this regarding this uh, spiritual body. Everyone's going to have it, be it heaven or be it hell. We're going to have that. The, the difference, obviously, we all understand. I read you this morning the definitions from heaven and hell, and it's horrible, the one on hell. 
I, I just cannot imagine, you know, to be in that situation or to be alive today and not understand it or not want to understand it to get ready. You know, Paul said in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We, we today are in an era where there's not a whole lot of trembling about anything religiously. In fact, there's more and more people all the time who, who just kind of blow it off and don't think that it's really anything serious. But all it will take will be for that one trip into Tartarus as the rich man was in Acts uh, 16. He was begging that Abraham would send Lazarus to get his finger wet, as I mentioned earlier, just to cool his tongue a little bit. We don't have a clue as to how bad hell is going to be. We can read it. We can read all, like, like this morning, I had probably 10 or 12 adjectives about it. But, you know, when you talk to people who are lost, uh, for some reason, uh, it just kind of goes over the top of their head on, with this particular topic. But, but at any rate, it's serious. I can say this, that it's serious as cancer because I've had cancer. I know how serious that is. But this is very, very serious to think that there are going to be people separated. Families are going to be separated. Not everybody in even a religious group will be saved. There will be separations there. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 is a good example there for you to check out. But this separation is going to be forever. I had a teacher at Harding, Brother Conard Hayes. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him or not, but he was a great Bible teacher. He used this illustration one time. He said, just to kind of get your mind working toward this idea of eternity, he said, just imagine an ant. An ant now. We all know what that is. It's traveling and walking around the circumference of the earth. 25,000 miles. He didn't give any time as to how long that's going to take. But he said, you know, in years and centuries and centuries and centuries, when that ant, if he's still alive, of course, if that ant walks enough that he makes a rut a foot deep, around 25,000 miles on that circumference, eternity has not even started. Now let that soak in for a little bit. And for people that we talk to and try to visit with and try to study with and they don't want to, they, they just throw it off. They've never been baptized into Christ. They're not part of the church. They're not part of the kingdom. And yet they'll laugh at it. I've talked to those. I'm sure you have too. And, and uh, what do you do? I mean, you keep talking. We don't give up. But for people... In that situation, as I mentioned this morning, that unending calendar on the wall that never quits, never, never, ever will those people leave out of hell. The people in heaven are not going to, they, want, they don't want to leave. Those adjectives are all wonderful. But when we start realizing and get serious about this subject, it is so important. We, we need to start doing evaluation. We need to start studying more. And we need to understand what Jesus meant when he talks about, in Matthew, a scripture I read this morning, about the weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Have you ever had a lot of pain in your life? I'm sure a lot of us have. I had a ruptured disc several years ago. I've never had pain like I did then. But you know what? That's nothing. That's a walk in the park compared to what we're talking about here in eternity to be lost and to be suffering day after day after. I heard Jimmy Allen one time at Harding said, you know, if hell would just last 10,000 years, if I were there, he said, if I knew it just lasted 10,000 years, I could start saying, well, I guess I've got one day out of the way. I've got 9,999 now. And he said, I could kind of keep that mindset to knowing that I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get out of here. It doesn't work that way. You know, you hear people use this phrase, spend eternity. That's one thing you're not going to spend. We spend money. We spend everything else. We spend our time doing things. We will not spend eternity. It never ends. And to think that fire and brimstone... You're all familiar, I'm sure, with 20, Revelation 21.8, where it talks about the second death, the lake of fire. And, and keep in mind, this is not a body now like you and I are looking at right now. It's not a body like this. It's some type of a body that's going to be different. And, and it's, going to have, it's going to have that pain. And, and never consumed. You know, we hear about people who, are, who burn to death in a house of house fire, or maybe an automobile catches fire. You know, that's sad. That's, that's bad enough. But you hope that they are prepared and ready to go. But there are people now who are, who are not prepared. And it's going to happen. You know, that's another thing. People keep thinking, well, it's been all this long. It won't happen. Well, it will. God's promises have never been broken. Everyone he said has been fulfilled, and this one will be as well. Now, let's, let's talk for a moment about this resurrection. Jesus, you know, was resurrected. He walked out of the tomb three days later. There's a difference in his resurrection and the one that we will have. One of the major ones is that when Jesus came out of the tomb, heaven and earth did not cease. They didn't burn up right then. They will when we come out of the uh, tomb our resurrection Peter says it'll be burned up everything in it will be burned up in the earth and the heavens so there's one difference there's another difference here and that is when we come out of, at the judgment day as you can see on this chart we are going to be given that special body that's acclimated for heaven or if we're lost acclimated somewhat for hell because it's, it's something that is going to be different for us. And that's going to happen on the judgment day. Now, in, before that time, and I want to mention this too, back to this center section. When we die, one second after our last breath, we know where we are. We know who we are. We know then if we're going to be in Tartarus or if we're going to be in paradise. It's not going to take long. You remember the, the scripture this morning from, from Luke? The, uh, the uh, spirit of, the, of Lazarus was escorted by angels. I mean, that, that's, that's a good thing there. Nothing was said about the rich man, how he was transferred, but he, he got there pretty quickly. But that's going to happen immediately, folks.
when we die, unless the Lord comes first. And then if he comes first, as Paul wrote in First uh, Thessalonians 4, then we who are alive and remain, is the way Paul worded that, we will be changed. You remember it says, in the twinkling of an eye. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I'm not sure what that twinkling of an eye, an eye is. It, it's got to be uh, you know, less than a second, milliseconds, whatever you want to deal, deal with there. But that's going to happen. But here, we are not going to be in this judgment day until Jesus returns. And there Paul also says in the people at Thessalonica that that trumpet's going to be so loud, we're going to hear it. We're going to know that that is the day for this to take place. Uh, this, he'll be back. We'll meet him in the air. He's bringing the, the spirits with him, First Thessalonians 4 says. He's bringing those that are there now. And then when he gets to the certain point, I, somehow, I don't understand this. You don't either. Somehow, though, those spirits, and, and by the way, First Thessalonians 4 is just dealing with the Christians, not, the law, not those that are lost. When, those, when there's going to be a certain point, those spirits are going to go into the grave, into that body, or wherever that body is. Not all of them, you know, are in the grave. The people who drown and, and or people who lost at sea on, in war, whatever. But at any rate, that's going to happen. You know, there, there for a while, people would think that our body's not going to change until this body comes up out of the tomb. But we're going to see here in a few minutes that I don't think is correct either. We're going to, that, that change is going to make place, uh, going to take place, I mean, be it for good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, it's going to take place and then we will come out of that tomb. Now, back to the, I want to read a couple of things here uh, that I got from Guy, one of his books. He says, the resurrection of Jesus accomplishes a different purpose to our own future resurrection and explains why it had to be physical. Jesus' resurrection was proof that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, Romans 1.4. Jesus pointed to his physical body as God's temple and promised to raise it from the dead. He had to be recognized as the same person who was crucified in order to prove his power over death. You ever thought about that? You remember Thomas, even, even though the others had said, and I think, Dennis, you mentioned Thomas in class this morning, even though it had been, it, it was eight days before he was in the meeting with Jesus, which is a week from that Sunday of a resurrection. It was the next Sunday. That would be eight days before he fully was convinced. But in this case, then, Jesus had to prove his power over death. He had the nail prints in his hands and in his side, or feet, I mean. He had the, the spot in his side where the, where the spear went. He had that as proof. He had to have that as proof. That's why he had to spend 40 days after he was resurrected was to t still teach the disciples who did not have a clear understanding of all this. You remember in John, about chapter 20, I think it says that he opened their minds on one occasion when he was meeting with them. He opened their minds so that they could grasp what he'd been telling them those three years. But he had to be with them those 40 days. Not true with us. 
when we come out of that uh, tomb, we don't, all, all we're going to be doing is we're going to be escorted in the air to meet Jesus there, as he says in 1 Thessalonians, as Paul does in, in 1 Thessalonians. There's a need for Jesus to retain his physical body for a period of time. Now, there are those who say, well, he had to have had a spiritual body because he would come in with the disciples, just shut doors and lock doors, and he would just all of a sudden he'd appear there. Can't you imagine that just scare the daylights out of some of them? It would a lot of us. But that's still not the case. Jesus was able to do things before the resurrection that we can't do. Walking on water is one of them. Remember that? He was able to do that. And so raising people from the dead. So, so, and there were only three that he did that during the entire time. But yet in our resurrection, resurrection we are faced with the end of the present heaven and earth. That's 2 Peter 3, 7. We'll be ushered into eternity. And therefore God has a different purpose in our resurrection than what was intended for Jesus. Uh, he had several things to show and to prove to his disciples. He had to be recognized by his disciples at the same body he had going into the tomb. It's still that physical body that Jesus had. Now, when he ascended, when you read that in Acts 1, when he ascended, left the earth and started ascending, he had that transformation in his body. We know he did. Why? Because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit or cannot be in heaven. So he had to have that change as he departed. Now, those two angels standing there may have seen that, and maybe they didn't. I don't know. But at any rate, Jesus was here for that particular time, for that 40 days. His body did not decay in those three days in the tomb. Uh, the earth was not destroyed, as I've already mentioned, when he came out of the grave. And so now, let's talk about our resurrection. When Jesus returns on that judgment day, uh, <clears throat> you remember the, the occupants of the spirit world, as we've talked about this morning, uh, they are still there because God, uh, Christ hasn't come yet. The physical body was buried uh, or was on, it was on earth somehow. I'm talking about those who died here and who were taken into paradise or to Tatars. Uh, we are going to have that spiritual body. Paul's proof that there is really such a thing as a resurrection he uses, these, he uses the first 34 verses in 1 Corinthians 15 for that, to prove that there is a resurrection. You know, the Corinthians thought there wouldn't be one. And so he had to prove to them that, yes, there is going to be that resurrection. It's going to happen. And now he turns their attention to the type of body with which uh, they'll be raised. And uh, you mentioned, and I just remember I, let, I brought something in the car, I left it there, but... Uh, seed, you remember, um, you know what seeds are? Most of you grew up probably on a farm, or at least you've heard about one, right? Do you know that scientists many years ago made a kernel of corn? They, they, they were able to create that kernel of corn. It looked identical to what was on an ear of corn. But there was one thing missing, and that was the germ of life. It will not sprout. That kernel that they made will not sprout. 
you can take a, I've done this many times, I've shucked off the corn, I could take the corn off the cob to be able to feed the hogs. You can look at that corn and, and it doesn't look any different than what they, the scientists would have done. But there is that germ of life in that. I brought some acorns that I wanted to, I know you couldn't see them up here, but I had, they're out there in the truck. But anyway, I, brought, I picked up three acorns when we were the family cemetery not long ago. Post oak trees there, you could barely put your arm around. They're probably like this. They're probably 200 years old. Those acorns were not as big as the end of my finger here and certainly not as big as the end of my thumb. But you know what? They have that life in them. I had a neighbor at uh, Nixa when I lived there, and thankfully and fortunately, I was able to baptize him and his wife. But he had pin oaks. Now, I don't see any of those in this part of the country. I, maybe there are. But a pin oak has a little smaller acorn, and the trees are much smaller. But he would plant those in the fall. He'd go around and gather up some really nice-looking acorns before the worms got in them, plant those, and he, he, he gave me a couple of three of them one time. I planted those. And I think two of them made it, but one of them did not. But at any rate, that germ of life is in that seed or in that acorn or whatever it is. I also brought a potato this evening. All of us have talked about planting potatoes, I'm sure, at one time or another. Now, Paul's, what Paul's going to get to here in a minute is that what we plant, and it's our, our body, he, that's his analogy, our body is planted when we die in the earth. But he, he uses the analogy from the farmers and he says that whatever you plant is not what it, that's, it's whatever comes from that's not, that's not what it's going to look like. It's going to be different. You can plant a potato. I remember we used to get those things, the seed and cut them as every eye we had, a, we'd plant one by itself. We'd get potato plants and Cotton, wheat, you know, Paul even talks about grain here uh, in, in one occasion. Uh, but you know, when you plant that seed, what happens? It has to die. That seed has to die in order for that germination to take place. Have you ever reached in, dug down into a row of potatoes and stuck your thing, uh, thumb in a rotten potato? I don't see any hands, but okay. Well, that, when you plant potatoes, that, that seed you put there is going to rot. It's going to die. It's going to germinate. And you're going to get a plant that comes up, and that plant looks nothing at all like the seed that they put in the ground. You know that. How many are familiar with wheat, wheat fields? You ever been through Kansas in June when they're combining wheat? Nebraska and that area? The wheat will get up here about so tall. Well, they've got varieties now much lower. But, you know, when that little grain of wheat you plant, so small, if I had one here, you wouldn't see it. But it will germinate and it will sprout. And here comes that the growth then, that plant growing. And then as it starts maturing, we get a head on there about that long. And then there's seed that comes into that head. Now, Paul is using that analogy. And why is that? Well, one thing, so they could understand it. And I think probably that's true for us too. Uh, let me just read a couple of verses here, if you bear with me, please. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 35. Some almost say, how are the dead raised? 
And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. This is in verse 36, 1 Corinthians 15. 37 says, And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps a wheat or of something else. That's in verse 37. Verse 38, But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. He goes on in verse 39, he says there are four kinds of flesh. Humans, animals, birds, and what's the uh, fish? Those are the four types. Four, four different types of flesh. Paul is in, implying here in this scripture that he writes that in death the physical body is sown in the ground. That's our body, folks. When we die, our body is placed in the tomb. He's calling it sown because he's talking about seed, and our body is that seed. And God makes this happen, verse 38 says. And then as you move on, 39 through 41, he talks about those four different types of flesh. And just as he gives a different body form to wheat, he can give, that different, uh, he can give a different form for every type of plant, whatever it is. Uh, and then in the conclusion he reaches is in 42 through 49. It's a rather lengthy reading, but I'd like, if you'll bear with me, I'd like to read that in 1 Corinthians 15. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now here's where he's talking to us. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There you, are. there you have it. This natural body that we look at when we see each other is going to be put in the grave. And from that then is going to come the spiritual body on the judgment day. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body, he says. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living person. The last Adam was a life-giving spirit. And of course, that was Jesus. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. You know that when, when we die, that body then is going to bring, come forth, create a new one then. But it has to be the natural one first. Just like he mentions Adam of Genesis, and then the last Adam, Christ. The second man is from heaven. That's, that's what, from Adam there. As is the, excuse me, the earthy one. So also are those who are earthy, and so is the heavenly one, so also are those who are heavenly. Now, just as we have borne, this is verse 49, the image of the earthy, we also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, here's what we have learned from some of this. The resurrected body is not the same as the one placed in the earth. Number two, Paul's statement in verse 44 is conclusive that we are given a different kind of body in the resurrection. Number three, what was put in the tomb was a physical body susceptible to death. We have all experienced that in our families. We don't have to worry about We don't have to question that, do we? We drive by, when you drive by the road, you're seeing cemeteries all the time. We don't have to question that there's somebody out there buried, somebody. Number four, that which comes out is totally different, a spiritual body. The term sown goes back to the illustration of seed that is sown that comes forth with a different look than when planted. 
And I think I've tried to make that clear with the wheat and the potatoes and the acorns and the trees and so forth. But we've got to start with a natural body. That's ours. Our physical body is placed in the ground. The spiritual body comes forth. And that happens on the judgment day. And verse 50 of chapter 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, in verses 50 through 52, I want to read this as well. Now, I say this, brothers and sisters, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. In the twinkle of an eye, I don't, as I said a while ago, I don't know how long that is, but it's got to be very, very quickly, isn't it? The mystery of, the, of what that image might be is not revealed. We don't know. It's only that it's gonna, we're going to change. We're going to have a spiritual body. Nobody can tell you, only the Lord could do this, what it's going to look like, what it's going to be. But here's the thing. It's going to be acclimated for eternity. That's why this physical body could not do that. That's why we have that change. That's why God is changing us from the physical when we die then, and then on judgment day to that spiritual. I have heard a lot of different things projected by different ones. I've listened to Wayne Jackson a lot with, uh, on a lot of his lessons. Uh, one I was listening to on this subject the other day, he said, uh, he said, do you think you're going to know who you are five minutes after you die? And he goes on to say, you will. Yes, you'll know. He said, well, I know I'm Wayne Jackson. He said, you bet I will. He said, look at what we've been taught all these years. He said, that's what we've been taught. We, we, we're taught about heaven. We know about these changes that are going to take place. And he said, I am going to be alive. And that's the one point that I think I mentioned this morning. If not, I'm going to do it right now. We will never die. Our spirit will never die. Our body, yes, will. But once we have been conceived in the womb, we are alive forever. And we better hope that we're following God, we're close to God, we're following his will, and that we can hear him say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Eternity will never end. You know, we can argue with God about this, and some people do. We can argue for as long as we want. The thing we've got to keep in mind is that we just need to be prepared to lose. God will not change. His promises are going to hold true. They're everyone going to be met. Every one of them is going to be come to pass by this judgment day. And what we need to keep in mind is that the Bible is always right. I know with this crowd tonight, we don't, I'm sure we don't have anyone here who needs to do that, who needs to be baptized into Christ. But you know, there's so many scriptures, and I've got all those in these pages up here, but one of them I want to mention quickly, in Romans 6, it says we're baptized into Jesus, into Christ, into his death. Do you know why that's important? That's important because Jesus shed his blood in his death. Ephesians 1 and Revelation 1, verse 5 and 1, verse 7 and the other. 
the scripture says that blood cleanses us from all sin. We cannot have cleansing of our sin unless we've been buried in baptism into Christ. And I know you mentioned this morning, Dennis, in class about there's so many today, just like I mentioned in class a couple of weeks ago about the guy on TV uh, who says all you got to do is say the sinner's prayer and then call an 800 number and you're going to be okay. You know, the Bible doesn't mention that anywhere. And obviously that's not right. But look at the, num the thousands of people, millions of people who believe that and they are wrong. The scripture is one way. As I said, we can argue with God, but he's not going to change. We've got to accept his scripture. And so we are baptized into Christ, then we have that forgiveness. And then we have the gift of the Spirit, Acts 2.38 tells us. And then we live our life as a servant for Christ. And folks, that's so critical. And there's so much more involved in that than a lot of people realize. We've got to put our heart into it. We've got to work and work and work some more so that we can hear Jesus say, well done. If you need to respond, if you're outside of Christ, please come while we stand and sing this song. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing? Are you 